Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I want you to feel personally invited into our community of faith, even if you're doing church at home or watching online. We're so glad you're with us today. Uh, we are especially wanting you who may have just moved here from Canada to feel welcome, okay? Because, man, we're all about community here and you're a part. Foothills is a little bit different, and uh, people in the past said, you know, Foothills is kind of a thinking person's church. The reason why is we want you to know why you believe what you believe. We want your convictions to be strong. We feel that the world is getting crazier and crazier, and it's really important to know what you think and what you believe, because what you believe is one of the most important things about you. So if you'd like to start your journey with our community of faith, then you can text FH Next Step. FH Next Step is one word to 97,000. So, as you'll notice in this new digital age, everything can be done on your phone. So, uh, just use your texting and you can learn more about who we are as a community of faith. Now, we're starting a brand new series today, and it's called Nonsense, and it's a study of the first book of John. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. It's only five chapters long. It's not very long. Some of the chapters are very, very short. And so whenever we start a series that's a book study at Foothills, I challenge everybody to make a goal to read that book throughout the series as many times as you can. So if you have a little routine that you do in the morning, uh, Monday through Friday, I encourage you to just read it when you're drinking your coffee or eating Cheerios or whatever it is you do during your workout, or you can listen to it by downloading a Bible app, and now you can pull up a passage of Scripture, and it'll actually, they'll read it to you audibly, so you can just listen to it. And the more you hear it, the more it'll sink in, and the more the structure of it, and you'll go, oh. And the reason why is because books, letters in particular in the New Testament, were written to specific groups of people to answer specific questions. Now, what we do is, in order to understand what they really meant, we have to put ourselves in the same mindset as the person who would have read it in the first century would have had, right? That's called historical context and what it meant to them. And then what we can do is you can see the underlying biblical principles that God wanted us to know through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel or uh, Apostle John when he wrote it. Consequently, We want to dig through all that and find out what was it that God is revealing to us in order that we can apply it to our lives and our faith today. So we're going to start off with an overarching question, as we always do in any series we start. I always like to start with uh, something that all human beings are dealing with, regardless of their religion, their belief system, their socioeconomic status, what language they speak, or what continent they were born on. Every human being wrestles through this at some point. And so our question for today and throughout the series is going to be this. Do you feel good about your life or do you feel right about your life? Now you might think, oh, it seems like a subtle distinction. But let me tell you something. When you're 19, good and right are the same thing. But as you get older, you start to realize that you do some things that you thought were good at the time or felt good at the time, but then the next morning you wake up 
with a hangover. And you think to yourself, and I just don't mean from drinking too much, sometimes you wake up the next day with what I call a life hangover. You wake up and go, man, it seemed like a good idea, but what a mistake that was. You know what that feeling is? It's called regret. And you know what regret does to you? Is regret is telling you that you don't feel right about your life. So as you dig into this, you start to think, hmm, not everything that feels good is what's right. And so you start to make better decisions, at least hopefully, as you grow. Every human being goes through this. And what it does is it starts to unveil a deeper question that we're asking ourselves as human beings. And the question that we're uh, unveiling through feeling good or feeling right about our lives and dealing with regret is this. Who am I? Why am I here? Who am I as a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? So John wrote this book to answer these questions to the church in the first century. This book tells us what reality that we exist in. It tells us who we are as human beings and why we are the way we are, what we do about it in order to understand how to feel totally right about our lives. And in the end process, it's where all the ways meaning and purpose comes from, how we make sense out of our lives. So this is a, a, a question that everybody, I think, can answer. And this is a question that Jesus inspired John to write to the first century church in order to understand how to make sense out of life. So let's jump in and let's kind of start seeing what's going on. And before I read from chapter one is I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop. And uh, I've been kind of wrestling with the best way to do this because it has to do with a new religion or a philosophy that a lot of people don't know much about. But uh, when I start to describe it, it might sound pretty familiar to you today. And this is what it was, is there was a group of people that lived in what is modern-day Turkey. At that time, they called it Asia Minor. And they were a part of the church. At that time, there was just one church. Uh, they didn't have denominations or anything at all like that. And the Apostle John was living there. And there was a group of people that started out, and then they decided, we don't want to be a part of Christianity anymore. We're going to go and start our new religion. And what they had done is they took an ancient Greek philosophy called Gnosticism, and what they did is they took it and they took the terminology of Christianity and they combined them and made up a new religion. And so they left and they were trying to recruit people from Orthodox Christianity, classic Christianity, to come and follow their new religion, okay? So they're recruiting. So John writes a letter to refute them and what they were saying. In the process, he tells us all this really great stuff that you and I need to know today to make sense out of the nonsense of the world in which we are living, okay? So that's what's going on. And I'm going to just kind of play it out for you a little bit as we go down through these passages of Scripture, okay? That way you kind of track along with me, all right? 
And uh, we're going to begin with uh, 1 John 1. And the first thing that he says in the first four verses is this. And that is the reality in which we live is different than what this group of people is saying or most other people who don't know God believe. Listen to these words, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. Now, why is he saying that? That seems a real weird way to start a letter off. Well, here's why. Is the Gnostics had this basic Greek philosophy. It started with uh, Socratic idealism, Plato worked with it in his dualism, and it was really throughout all uh, Greek philosophy, which the Romans really appreciated and adopted as a mindset. And here's kind of it, just in a basic, basic nutshell, and that is, is that out there in, in what the heavens, the spiritual realm, way up there is perfection, right? So everything up there, there's a perfect ideal of it. So if you see a horse here, there, this is just a material representation of the perfect horse up there. If there's a table up there or there's you up there, and down here, this is an imperfect representation of that. So all material things, space-time reality in which we live, has been corrupted by evil. Now, the reason they believe this is because they just looked around them and they said, man, there's... The world in which you live has evil in it, doesn't it? I mean, people do bad things, people break the law, there's all these problems, there's famines and natural disasters that wipe out life, it seems awfully. Is that really what, according to the Romans, the gods wanted, you know? So what they wanted to do is they wanted to have this notion that God was perfect, right? Way up here, but also explain why there's so much corruption and messed up junk in the world in which we live. So the implication of this was really quite simple, is that, well, because there's God up there and we live in an imperfect world, then that means that the God or gods up there must have created evil, right? Because God is creator of everything. And they're like, well, we don't want to say that because that doesn't seem right. So what we mean is what God did is he created another lesser God, and then that God created a lesser God, and then a lesser God, and a lesser God. It's like taking a copy and putting on a copy machine and making a copy, and then flipping it and making another one. And after a while, you know, you get down the road and you can't read it because it's all blurry, right? That's the God that created the earth. That's the one. And that's where who Jesus came from. So it wasn't the God-God, it was kind of a lesser God, and Jesus came from him, and that's why Jesus was corrupted, and the world in which we live is corrupted, and everything is corrupted, because everything you touch is corrupted. And so listen to what he says. This is the word of life, and he goes on, is that we saw it, we heard it, we touched it. Look at verse 2. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. You see why he said that? Father, creator, right, appeared to us. Because see, the Gnostics did another thing, and that is that, well, you know how we have all these gods? You know how you get to that God up there? Special secret knowledge, secret sauce, right? To all be patties, special sauce. And we have it, and you don't. 
So what is John saying? Uh, not so much. As a matter of fact, the Father, the Creator, did what? He appeared. We saw Him, and guess what? We touched Him, and we proclaimed to you. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We didn't make this up. It came from God, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So now you see why he's saying it the way he's saying it. Is he saying, look, Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he and the Father were one and the same. And so Jesus wasn't this separate, lesser person or God. He and God the Father were one, and he emptied himself, it says in Philippians chapter 2, to come and walk among us. Uh, in Orthodox Christianity, they call that the incarnation. Uh, it's not a breakfast drink, by the way. Um, yeah, see, people who are over 50 get that joke. So it, it's an it's a incarnation. He takes the form of humanity, okay? So the Gnostics are saying Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. He wasn't God incarnate. And John says, yeah, not so much. Jesus is the glue of the Christian faith community, the authentic Jesus, who he was claimed who he was. And this is what creates fellowship. This is what bonds all the people who've been redeemed by him together as one. Okay? So, how does that biblical principle apply to us today? Well, today, we live in a society that has a lot of different beliefs about a lot of different things. But what's really interesting is that when you boil it down, our society today is Gnostic in the way it looks at the world philosophically, almost exactly the same. That's why we're going to study 1 John and see what the answer is. And this is also because we're a Gnostic society in our way of thinking, everybody's so confused about the point and purpose of their life. And that's why life seems to be so upside down and senseless right now. So uh, a number of years ago, this is quite a, a while back, I uh, had heard that they were going to have a, a person on Oprah who had uh, died and gone to heaven and come back, and they were going to talk about it, right? So, you know, Oprah was sitting there and, and talking, and so I thought, oh, this might be interesting, and so I was watching some of it. And so Oprah was uh, talking, somebody stood up in the thing and said, well, that's really neat, you know, what do you think about Jesus and all this kind of stuff? And so somebody said, uh, well, on the, her little panel said, well, you know, yeah, Jesus is the way you go to heaven. And Oprah goes, well, no, no, that's not true. There are lots of ways to get to heaven. She said, there's lots of ways to get to heaven. You see, uh, it's kind of like a river, you know, spiritual life is like a river. And you have all these tributaries that can go all these different places. But they all flow down one thing and they all end up in the same place. So it doesn't really matter which one you're on because we all end up at the same place. And everybody goes, Wow, that is so awesome. It's so inclusive, and it's so tolerant, and it's so loving, except it's not at all. Because if you spend five minutes to think about it, you start to realize when people say that, what they're really actually saying is this, is that what you believe 
doesn't really make any difference because we all end up in the same place. The choices that you make don't make any difference because we all end up at the same place. So if you treat people really poorly and you're a jerk towards them, it doesn't really matter because both of you are going to end up in the same place. It doesn't really matter uh, whether you live selfishly your entire life for yourself because all you care about is you and you're a narcissist. doesn't matter because you're ending up in the same place as Mother Teresa. It doesn't really matter what you think, what you believe, what you say, what you do, because we live in a deterministic reality, and that reality always ends up in the same place. So the notions of free will and love and choice and community and bonds really make no significant impact at all. Is that what that means? Yeah, that's what that means. John is saying, no. If you want to have fellowship with God, you have to understand that we have fellowship with God only in one way, and that's through God himself in the form of Jesus Christ, who came, who gave his life for our sins and conquered death through the resurrection. And that is, that truth, though it may sound narrow, becomes the most liberating, freeing, loving, and inclusive truth that you will ever know. That truth throughout history has, has brought more different ethnicities together than any other philosophy, religion, or belief system that has ever existed in the history of humanity. That truth has brought more groups that were locked in poverty and tribalism uh, and brought them into communities that could bond together, have a commonality of acceptance, and grow into the civilized world that we know today. This so-called narrow truth became the most powerful, liberating truth that allowed people to respect the sovereignty of human individuals more than any other truth. And so John would say your Gnostic belief system, he would say that to Americans today, is not inclusive, it's not tolerant, it ends up being absolutely senseless. And that's why our world today is so divided. That's why our world seems to be attracted to the most ridiculous base things. That's why the conversations on Twitter and the conversations in social media and the conversations in our, in our political debate are so ridiculous and absurd. All because we think like Gnostics in America today. He goes on, though, to say something even more profound. He says, not only is the reality that Jesus is what brings us fellowship with God, he goes deeper and he says, this is how Jesus is actually doing it. Look at verse 5. He goes, this is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. So is he saying, oh, this is how we figured it out, or this is our idea? No, he's saying this is the message that Jesus proclaimed to us, and now we declare it to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Oh, wait a second. Weren't you uh, just discussing a moment ago that Gnostics believed that a lesser God that was corrupted created the corrupted world, and that's why we're all corrupted? Got a whole lot of corruption going on right there. Yeah. So what is he saying is Gnostics taught that God was corrupted, and that's where evil comes from. 
But, but what does John say? Uh, not so much. He says what? He goes, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. You see, the Gnostics thought, well, because it's this way, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all about what you think, not what you do. So you can kind of live any way you want, as long as you believe and think the right things, the secret knowledge. You can just do whatever you want, because when you die, because you have the secret key, boom, you get to go. And, he, and he's saying, no, the lesser God didn't create this evil and was evil. Jesus wasn't evil. Jesus wasn't corrupted. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, what does he say? We lie and do not live out the truth. Who are we lying to when we live this way? We're lying to ourselves. We're denying the reality of our own soul. Look at what he goes on to say after that. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Well, what does that mean? What it means is that even though we're still imperfect, we still make mistakes, the blood of Jesus covers us, right, as we are trying to walk in the light. We're not using Jesus as an excuse. We're using Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the goal to which we want to obtain. The Gnostics were saying your lifestyle doesn't make any difference. Your behavior and choices don't make any difference as long as you have the secret knowledge. But guess what? They bifurcated, they separated your behavior from your spiritual life. Today, this is very popular in America. It's very popular in America. Uh, here's a little funny story that I used to illustrate that, and that is a boy really wanted a bicycle, but he didn't have enough money. So he prayed to God at the end of his bed. He goes, oh, dear God, dear God, please give me a bicycle. Please give me a bicycle. And then he realized, guess what? God just doesn't give you stuff because you ask, right? So he stole a bicycle and prayed to God for, to forgive him for stealing it. That's how a lot of people approach God. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? And we do that. Why do we do that? Because we think that that's the way God operates, that our lifestyle and our choices don't have any impact on our souls. But in reality, they do. Now, the way it's bifurcated, the way it's separated today in the world is if your kids are in high school, sometimes they'll get in middle school, but I guarantee you they will confront this in college. If any of your kids go to college and they're in their general education course requirements, which is usually 60 units or 60 hours worth, meaning the freshman and sophomore years, they're going to sit in a lifestyles course or an introduction course to something or other, and they're going to be hit with this basic syllogism. And here's how it works. The syllogism is mental math. What they're going to be hit with this is it says, is God the creator of everything? And then people, all Christians say, well, yeah. Was God all good and all powerful? People will say, well, of course, right? He's good. He's powerful. Is there evil in the world? Yes, there is. Therefore, God created evil. Well, no, no, God wouldn't create evil, would he? How does that work? No, no, he didn't. And then they say, okay, well, if he didn't create evil, then he's not 
all-powerful. Well, that's true. If evil exists and God exists, then he can't be all-powerful because he could just wipe it all out, right? And then they say, therefore, God doesn't exist. And you would not believe how many freshmen and sophomores in universities across the globe go in, they hear that, and they go, I can't be a Christian anymore because it doesn't make any sense. Now, this is why Foothills is different. We talk about this stuff because we're aware of what is going on out there, and our goal is to prepare people for it. And the one thing that a freshman or sophomore in university never hears is this, is that that entire syllogism is 100 and completely false. It's completely false. And you know why it's completely false? Because it's built on a false premise, an unspoken premise. And you know what that unspoken premise is? Is I'm going to use the fact that evil exists in the world to disprove God. But if there is no God, there is no moral objective duties. Zero. You take God away and there is no evil. You take God away, there are no morals that are objective. You might say, well, I have morals. I'm, I'm an atheistic person. I have morals. I'm a good person. Yeah, but that's nice for you. Was Hitler a bad guy? Well, I can't really say that because, you know, that's a different lifestyle choice than me. But it is what he did evil. Is it universally, objectively evil? Well, I can't really say that. Any atheist that is intellectually honest admits, when you listen to their debates, you read their books, they all say the exact same thing, and they they say the exact same thing, and that is that all morality is subjective, and there is no objective morality or objective duties. Do you really want to live in a world like that? Because that means anybody can rationalize anything if they feel it's right for them, regardless of how it victimizes you. You see, Gnostic thinking, according to them, was so enlightening and freeing, and it, it, it put all of the, it took off all of the restraints of its narrow-minded thinking. But it created a horrible, horrible world in which human beings lost all sense, meaning, and purpose to their lives. That's why what John is saying is so important for you and for me today, because it helps us navigate what's going on in the world. Let's keep going before we run out of time and look at the last thing he talks about, and that is this. It starts uh, in verses 8 through 10, and he says, I want you to uh, really dig in. So, no, I just want to make sure that... uh, Oh, I skipped over five. I want to go back to five. Is that okay? Can I, I, I'm talking to the guy in the booth up there because I don't want to skip over five. I want to make sure I read five through ten. Did I read five through eight, seven? I didn't read that yet. Okay. See, I get preaching, man. I just get rolling, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> Let's read verse five. So I, I'm giving a sign up there. Yeah, okay. This is the message that we have heard from him to declare to you that God is light. I did read that. And that if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So we're lying to ourselves. Verse 7 is what I wanted to read. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus purifies us from all sin. And I wanted to reiterate that because now in verse 3, or point 3, verse 8, we see why we are the way we are. Okay, we see why we are the way we are. If we claim to be without sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, 
We make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, because they had severed belief from behavior, John said that the end result of that is a belief that there's nothing wrong with you. And this is very popular in our society today. If you are a certain way, if your inner self tells you this is my identity, and if you're not happy because you know the way you are, then the reason why you're not happy is because there is some force out there that is hindering you from being your true self. So, If you believe yourself to be something, it could be anything. I believe myself to be the CEO of Apple, and I'm not, then that's because there is a force out there that is stopping me from achieving that. If if I'm a young lady and I think to myself that I would love to meet a guy one day and you start dating guys, you're in college, then you're out of college, and you, you're, you look at your love life and you go, wow, it's kind of a train wreck, it's not working out, and you think to yourself, you know, I know why. Do you know why I can't find a guy? Because all men are bad. That's why. That's got to be the case, right? Or you're a guy and you get married and you married this woman and she's the mother of your three kids and you're sitting there and she's not happy, you know, and no matter what you think you're trying to do, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but she's just not happy. And you think to yourself, aha, I know why she's not happy. Because women are never happy. It's all women's fault. It's all women's fault. The reason I can't get that job is because there's a a system that stops me from improving myself. Now, there's a common theme to all of this stuff in our society today across the board. It's spiritual in nature. And the notion is this, is that the reason why bad things are happening to me, the reason why things aren't going my way, the reason why things aren't working out isn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with everything outside of me. And the end result of that says this, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Do you want your life to make sense? Do you want it to come into focus? Do you want to really know who you really, really are? Then what you need to do is you need to start with who God says you are. And what God says is that, All of my issues, all of my things that I'm going to have to work through in life, all start in one place. You know where that place is? Right here in my soul. I came to heal your soul. That is the reality in which you and I live. And until we understand how our world wants to circumvent that, will never make sense out of life. You see, a meaningful life, a meaningful life is where you are meant to know who you are in this reality. A meaningful life, a life filled with purpose and direction is the one where you were meant to live in faith. You were meant to live in love. You were meant to live in joy. You were meant to live in peace. 
A, a meaningful life, a directed life, is where you were meant to be in community with other like-minded people whose hearts have been redeemed by Christ, where you are encouraged, where you are inspired, where you are protected, and at times even defended. That is the kind of life that you were meant to live. So let me give you three takeaways today that are real short, uh, ones that we're going to kind of focus on throughout this entire series as we study the first letter of John written to the churches. Number one is this. If you believe the world and what it says you can, that you can believe whatever you want, your life is never going to make sense. If you believe what the world says when it says you can believe whatever you want and your life will come into focus, it will never come into focus. It just won't happen. Why? Because you're not wired that way. You're not made that way. You have to listen to one author and one author of your life alone. Don't listen to me. Listen to Jesus. Because he is the one who is the author and perfecter of your faith. And he is the one who is the author and perfecter of your life. Number two, if you believe the world's definition of what it means to be a human being, if you listen to how the world defines what it means and, uh, to be alive and how you discover who you are, your life will never make any sense. You know how you know you've fallen into this or you're being influenced by this? Ask yourself a basic question. How many times have I changed my identification of myself? How many, how many times have I redefined myself? You know, I'm a guy. I look back over my life. You know, when I was in high school, you know, my identity was all about soccer, 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 ski, 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 ski. Skied on a ski team, played soccer in the summer, and skied in the wintertime, right? And then I got a massive energy, uh, injury in my knee, and I didn't play soccer, and I didn't ski anymore for quite a while. So then, then I redefined myself. Now, you know what I was? I was a drummer. I played drums. I was a drummer, 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 you know. And, and then, well, I was never really great at that. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't at the top level of drumming, you know. And so that didn't go anywhere. So then I redefined myself. Well, this is who I am now. You know, all you have to ask yourself, whether it has to do with what you do, whether you're an athlete or a businessman, are you a smart person or are you a, per, a people person? You look at, some people look at their sexual identity. They say, well, it's this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's that. Or they look at uh, their dating life, their boyfriend or their girlfriend, and they build their identities. Those things don't work, so they shift them. You know what? That happens. We all go through it. Every single person does it. But all that does is that tells us something about ourselves. And that is, is that we have bought into, without knowing it, the world's definition of what it means to be a human being. We are allowing it to influence our decision-making process. And when we do that, guess what? We'll never find the answer that we're looking for in our soul. Finally, if you believe the world's definition of Jesus and who the world says he is, then your faith will never make any sense. The last place to listen to who people think Jesus is, is the world. And the best place to ask, who are you, Jesus, is to ask him yourself. So let's go on this journey together and let's see what he has to say to you and to me as we figure out how to make sense out of this crazy thing called life. 
Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.